as Easter. How many of you know He is still risen? Okay, so that's, that's the first thing we've got to know. But I also want you to know that I've taken this weekend to, to kind of talk about where we are going as a church and what it means to have life after Easter. The disciples were pretty confused, and rightly so. I mean, they saw Jesus die, and then when they knew He was alive again, there's no question they thought He was going to set up His kingdom right here on the earth and that they would be, you know, the rulers. And then He leaves them. He says, goodbye, and He ascends into heaven. If you don't know the story, Jesus is around for a while and does a few things, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but then He leaves. He goes back into heaven. And He, he leaves a mantle upon the disciples and us as followers of Jesus. But I want to just, before we dive into all that, thank you for last week. We had an amazing Easter here at Timberline. We had almost 11,000 people at Timberline. That's a powerful thing. God has really used it. We've had some great emails and and people whose lives are changed. They've started a journey and and they're trying to work through what that means. And thanks for being friendly and and, uh, taking your time in the parking lot and being nice to people. And... um, Thanks. It really does mean a lot that you have been embracing. I also uh, thank God for just what it means to partner together with other churches in our community. And uh, the church with the big C, as we say, around the world. And it's truly something special. So I just want to commend you on your kindness for doing all of that. I, I think about this. This is a baton that's used in track. How many of you know what the purpose of the baton is in a relay race? Anybody? All of you, probably. Do any of you have, like, any crazy stories? Like, when you... How many of you actually dropped the baton before in a relay race? Ah, there you are. Stand up. Come up here. We're going to... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we, this, is a, this is a big deal. You can be... If you've, if you've seen the Olympics, uh, it's happened to, to America. It's happened to other teams where we're winning... And we're going to take gold, and they drop the baton. That is a sad moment, isn't it? You just go, both of our daughters ran track, and they were in relays, and I remember those times when that baton hit the ground, and it's over. And it's a terrible thing. And this, in a sense, is a symbol of what Jesus did with his disciples. He literally took them away, made some statements about what his expectations were, and said, here you go. I've been given authority, and I'm going to release you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You guys, that this is on us. Jesus did His part, and now He left a mantle and gave us authority so that we can now reach the world. That's why we go. It's why we have a team in Peru. This is a powerful thing, and I want you to just see this visually all day today. That you've been handed a baton to go make a difference. So what does it mean? What is life after resurrection? What does it mean? I've, I've put five things down in your program there on the back page, so follow along and write them down. Life after resurrection means, number one, that I look for Jesus. That's the first thing the disciples did, is they they went to look to really see if it was real. Because the message came from these women who were at the tomb. They heard it first. They ran off to tell the disciples. And then in Matthew 28, And I'm going to go through four or five verses today. You can just leave your Bible folded open on your lap if you have it with you. Matthew 28, verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee. This is right after the resurrection. Going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
He did, they did what he said they should do. They followed instructions. Jesus said, I'm going to come back alive. They didn't really believe it. They didn't even grasp the truth. But then he said, I'll see you in Galilee. And so they remembered that. And the women told them. He said he would meet you in Galilee. So that's where they went. The, the best thing that I can do is to just do what I know to do. And that's what they knew, is they went to look for Jesus. And they went to obey Him. I, they wanted to obey Him. When I think about instructions and what I've received, how many of you have ever tried to follow an instruction sheet on putting like shelving together? How many of you basically have said, I will never buy furniture again that is not put together? You know what I'm saying? So you, you, you get these, they give you these little bags and they have like nuts and bolts and screws and hinges and, and everything. You lay it out. Bonnie and I kind of do this together. We lay it out in piles and here's the A's and the B's and the C's and, and you look at it and you hear, yeah, that goes here. And then you lay everything out and then you try to assemble it. Without the I'm not a, I don't like following those instructions. How many of you just go for it? You just say, forget it. And then you have lots of pieces left over. You can like put it in your garage stash, you know. Um, <laughs> but the shelving doesn't hold up too well. The idea is, if it hadn't been for those instructions on some of that stuff that I put together, it would never have made a strong shelf. And and that's what's happening here is they said we're going to go. We're going to do what Jesus asked us to do, even though they had questions. How can I live my life in ways that I watch for God moments? Because the mantle on us now is to be aware, to be perceptive as we walk through life. Number two, another thing that I do after resurrection is that I worship Jesus the best that I can. This is one of the first things that it says about the disciples. Right after it says they went to Galilee... The next verse is verse 17. The first part of that verse says, When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. And that word for worship literally means that they, to lay down, to bow down, to change your posture. They literally got on the ground when they saw Him. I don't know, I would have probably fainted. <laughs> it's like, He is alive. They just had to worship Him. And I, I was thinking about what it means to live a life of, of worship in our lives. I don't think they were worried about style of worship. I don't think they were arguing about what they liked and didn't like about worshiping God. I think it was a moment when they were just so in awe of who God was, that He was alive, that they just fell down before God to worship Him in spirit and in truth. There's power in worship. Thank you for worshiping today. Man, just hearing your voices sing seeing you get lost in the presence of God and enjoy that, that's what it's all about. Don't get distracted when you worship with other believers by how they worship or the music or the scenes or the words. Don't just read the Word off of a screen. Be a person who is a sponge. When we corporately worship together, man, God is honored in this place. And let it just soak into you. Let the presence of God fill your heart. That's what worship really is all about. I was thinking about what it means for me to live a lifestyle of worship. We hear, we hear that not just singing songs, but living a life of worship. Do you think that's possible? Of course it is. I, I sometimes, when I study and I prepare messages, I always write down lists for like me and what's, uh, what's applicable for me and what can I actually bring to you. And I wrote down a few things like respect. If I'm going to live a life of worship, I need to have real respect for God. 
And I, I think that almost means fear in the right sense of that word. Like not phobia, God's going to smack me, but this respect idea that says He is God. He's the creator of the universe. That's big. And I, I need to respect that in my attitudes, in my life. I am not self-sufficient. I am not independent of needing a Savior. I respect God. I fear God. If I'm going to live a life of worship, I want to honor God. That means my thought life, man, when I'm tempted, when I see something that makes me get greedy or lustful or whatever, I, I want to capture that thought immediately. I don't want to have that living inside of me. I want to push that out. Because you're going to be tempted. That's not a sin. But it's what you do with it in those moments. And I think if I'm going to live a lifestyle of worship, I'm going to capture those thoughts and, and I'm going to say, whoa, I'm not going to go down that path. But I'm going to honor God with my thoughts, my body, my, my spirit man, what I see, what I touch, what I do, where I go, how I live, what I spend money on. All of these things is what it's all about in, in living a life of worship. <coughs> Excuse me. I think living in truth was another thing I wrote down that, that you're not going to have hypocrisy going on in your life. Now, it's true. We all are constantly... How many of you are a work in progress? You just are. We all are. So, to say that there's no hypocrisy in, in us is probably a stretch. We all probably have a little bit. But it's just important to know it. It's important to not believe any lies about yourself. Own where you really are. Own your weaknesses. Know the things that you struggle in. Know the things that you need to improve on. That's honoring God. That's being respectful of God. That's living a life that's saying, I want to be truthful about who I am and how I'm living. And don't let that gap get too big. Submission to God is another one that I wrote down. Is, is, I think that's why they bowed down. It was just this statement that God's bigger than me. Um, let's live that. Number three. I... After resurrection, I learned to cope with doubt. Now, I want to talk about this for a little while. Because I think Christians probably don't discuss this enough in the sense of how real it is in our lives and how much it affects us and how much it impacts us. Look at verse 17b. It actually says, But some of them doubted. They worshipped Him, is how it starts, and then it says, But some of them doubted doubted. Now, here's a question for you. Who gets, who gets the bad rap of being the doubter? Thomas. We even call him Doubting Thomas. I feel so bad for him. Can you imagine for 2,000 years being labeled as a doubter when all of them doubted? There's no question about it. All of them doubted. I've doubted God and you don't call me Doubting Derry. Thank you. It's crazy. I mean, it's just, I, I feel bad for the guy. Because he's, he's, he's really, I think he's a star in this story. I think he's one of my heroes because he says it. I don't know about this whole thing. How does someone die and come back alive again? After three days in the grave, really guys? Come on. I don't know if I believe that. It's okay for you to own the questioning of your faith. It's okay for you to go through seasons when you doubt and you have concern about if God is even there, if He's even real. I, I've had that happen in my own life, and, and it's not a, a fun place to be. This is not just referring to Thomas only. 
Lots of people have doubted through the years who really are people of faith, who love God. But sometimes you go through seasons. Sometimes circumstantially you go through something that causes you to wonder if there really is a God and, and why He would behave the way He does if He's really there. It's personal for me. I, I, I don't know that I've talked about... Some of you know my story. Uh, growing up in a pastor's home with five of us kids and I have four sisters... Two older, two younger. I'm right in the middle. It's like an Oreo. Um, all the sweetness is right in the middle. <laughs> they hate it when I say that, too. <laughs> you know, we, we grew up in a great home, Grand Junction, Colorado. And my dad got cancer when I was 11 and had a three-year battle. And we had people coming over to our house who were so-called prophets and people who would pray over him and twice I had people pull us aside, pull us kids aside, and say to us, God has told us that your father will be healed. And you know what? We believed him. And I didn't fret over it too much. And then he died. <laughs> and I was fourteen when he died. And I I put it together, you know, when you're a kid, and I'm I'm over it now, so don't worry, it's not too heavy for me, but but when you're a kid, you go through that and you have people who are men and women of God who have prayed and fasted for your family and they tell you God told them that there's going to be a miracle and your dad's going to be raised up and his ministry is going to be twice what it was before. All these, all these, quote, prophetic things. I believe in the prophetic, so don't take that wrong. But they were wrong. Well, that can push some doubt into your mind. That can push you to say, God, are you really even there? Some of you have been through situations like that where promises that someone made or someone said or some preachers quoted something that didn't happen in your life. And you have to deal with that. We as believers will constantly on this earth deal with doubt. And I don't want you to feel like you're a horrible person if you have moments and seasons of doubting God's existence. I, I, let me tell you what I love about this verse and why I love that it's in the Bible. Okay? Maybe you've never thought of it like this, but that's my job, is to help you think about it. First of all, I love that these men doubted because they were not, it, it shows me they were not naive and they were not gullible. No one tricked them into believing Jesus was alive. Don't you like that? Because I can believe someone who wants to find out for themselves. I, can, I like it when people say, you know what, I didn't believe it. I went, I touched, they actually touched him. They saw him eat. They saw his physical body. Jesus said to Thomas, touch my side, touch my hands. I really like that because I don't think Thomas is going to allow this book to say he's alive if he really isn't. And, and that's good for me. Um, I like that they were not naive or gullible. I also think they took the time to process all this. I'm so thankful in the resurrection story that Jesus didn't just ascend, come out of the grave and ascend into heaven and said, I hope you can believe it. He hung around. Over 500 people saw him physically. He was walking all around on the earth, having meals with people. So, so there's a real sense in my faith that it's not just hocus pocus, I'm going to believe because I'm not going to doubt. It's, no, these guys didn't really want to believe it, but they pursued it and they came to a conclusion. I like that their conclusion is based on reasonable and logical conclusions. I like the fact that it's real and powerful and that they had to think it through. And that it wasn't just out there pie in the sky. 
it's reasonable for them to say, I've touched him. I know it's true. I like things that are logical. Any else, anyone else besides me? And so I encourage you to believe this story partly because they ended up believing it when they doubted. And they had the chance to pursue it and to physically touch him. Um, what do we do when we doubt? Let me, let me just give you some ideas of things you might want to think about. When you're doubting, some of you that are going through a season right now, is God even there? I would say slow down and really take the time to think about this. I'm amazed at how many people go through a bad season or a tough time in their life and they just kind of throw God out. He's not there. He would have been there for me. Things would have happened different. This is a decision that impacts your eternity. And you know, something that impacts your eternity is worth you really taking your time and give great consideration to. Don't just be frustrated and throw it out. So I would say if you're doubting, make sure you take your time. Another thing I would recommend is that you ask the right people the right questions. Some of the seasons of doubt in my life are, are helped by people who I respect and love. And I've sat down with them and I've said, can you explain to me again why we believe there is a God? <laughs> Can you remind me of what is going on? Can you help answer these questions? And what it does is it begins to help secure your faith and build you back up and cause you to realize there's a bigger picture in mind than just my little world. Usually when people give up on God, it's because their little world has consumed them and they get lost in this cocoon and they forget to see the picture of what's going on in the world. And I would say lastly under this point is be honest with God. Tell Him you're mad at Him. You know, He can handle it. Um, you, if you scream at God, I don't believe you're even there. I mean, He might just say, okay. <laughs> I am. <laughs> your anger, your hurt, your pain, God is still there. And that's the hope we have which... We're going to lead to in just a minute. Number four. After resurrection, I'm committed to doing the work of God. Now, this is where Matthew 28 makes a profound statement to the church. It's one of the biggest things that could be said to us today. And you, you've probably heard this verse before if you've been around church very long. A lot of missionaries preach from this text constantly. But here it is. Verse 18. Jesus came and told His disciples. And this next sentence is really important. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Why is that important? Notice he says he's been given authority. Let me just make a statement. All authority is always given. It's never taken. You say, oh no, I'm the boss. I have people who work for me. Let me, let me, I have news for you. You might be able to tell them what to do, but you do not have authority to speak in their life unless they give it to you. You don't even have authority in your kids unless they give it to you. They might respect you. They might have to do what you say. But no one has authority over me unless I give them that authority to speak into my life. That's the power of the will. And Jesus is making this statement. And the reason He said this first is because He wanted His disciples to understand that the Father in heaven has given Him the authority to say what He's about to say. So He has authority in heaven and He has authority on earth. And I look at what He says. Therefore, anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you go back and read the, the thing in front of it again. So because He has authority in heaven and on earth, therefore, because of that, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments, all the commands that I have given you. See, this isn't just a flippant statement. This is a moment that's been thought about. This is why he went to the cross. It's why he rose from the dead. And now, the next thing, if you read on, he's going to ascend into heaven. He's gone. And he's basically saying, I have this authority. Take the baton. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Get out of here. Scatter. Go make this happen. I'm going to be gone. We're not setting up kingdom on this earth. Not now. That comes later. But for now, be about this business of reaching the world. You guys, thank you for being a church that is not inward focused. This church is not a selfish little cocoon where people run around needing their seat and their parking space and turn the heat up and turn the volume up and turn the volume down and we don't like it. Yeah. I wouldn't pastor a church like that. I'm telling you, I wouldn't. I believe God has called us to the greatest mission, and that is to reach the world. And we have the mantle. We have been given the authority that Jesus was given, and He has released us to go into all the world. It's powerful. I get excited about this. I think about some of the things that are happening right now locally and why we're doing what we're doing. Our Open Spaces campaign. Some of you have made a faith promise. We have about $508,000 that have been pledged in faith promises. Thank you so much for doing that monthly. We've received about 315000 of that. We are in the process right now of remodeling our youth and our children. The youth are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. We need our young people. We believe in them. And we're, we're equipping them. And we're going to do everything in our power to help them. Because of generous donations, we have been able to purchase the Hunt Club and turn it into a church called Genesis Project. We have paid for that building completely. We own it. Here's the deal. It's crazy how much it's going to cost to remodel it. And that's where we're stuck. Pray that God will help us. Here's an example. It's an old building, so we have to bring everything up to code. And it had asbestos in it, all these issues. Just the water line, just to hook up the new water line, is $200,000. So if one of you could write a check today, that'd be really nice. So we're running into all these obstacles. But we're not going to quit. We're not going to stop. It might take longer than we hope, but we're going to get it done. Pray for Pastor Rob and Joy as they lead that church. Because we need that place to be a light in darkness. We need to expand the vision and the ministry. We have people in Peru right now. Why? Because we're a church that believes in going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is our passion. When I think of Serve 6-8, so many of you, over 3,000 people now have signed on to serve with Serve 6-8. It's phenomenal. Yesterday, just an example, this is just one day. Yesterday, a hundred teenagers from Timberline and about 30 uh, adult sponsors were over at the Murphy Center the, the shelter that's for homelessness or near homelessness, which now has about 140 people a day that, that go by that place. We are helping them. We're making a difference in our city. But 100 teenagers were over there building stuff, doing stuff, helping Larimer County. They, sand, they did sandbags because the runoff is going to cause flooding again. They did sandbags. They did 1,500 sandbags. Our teenagers did that. Let's let them know we appreciate what they're doing. It's powerful. 
I just, I just get excited when I think about the mission of the church. Go into all the world. This is in your hand. This is in my hand. And I must hurry because this last point I really want to spend some time on. Okay. Sorry. Did I scare you with all that? Here we go. Number five. I trust that the Lord is with me. Well, of course He's with us. Why would you have a point? No, this is really an important point. Because I'm not sure we always act like we believe this. Verse 20, the second part of it. Jesus says, Be sure of this. Now, anytime someone makes a statement that tries to prepare you for what they are about to say. You ever looked at someone and said, now you listen carefully to what I'm about to say. That's what Jesus is doing right here. He's stopping them, he's rallying them, and he's saying, be sure of something. Never doubt this. I'm going to tell you something. Get it right. I am with you always. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Really? Is that true? Or was it just a warm, fuzzy thing you say when you're about to leave the earth? No, it's true. He wouldn't have said it, and he certainly wouldn't have said, pay attention to what I'm telling you. Why is this important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because we have the baton. We've been given this mission, but we can't do it without the presence of God. That's the key ingredient. That's what makes the bread rise, if you will. That's, that's what enlightens the world, is the presence of God. The Lord is with us always, even to the end of the age. I've been thinking about that this whole week. It's been driving me crazy. What does that mean? Always? Like when I'm alone, when there's no one else around? Yes. He's with me always. When I have questions, He's there with me. When, when I feel troubled, When I'm depressed or discouraged, when I face hardship, He's with me. Let me just say, when we suffer for His namesake, I don't know that you've ever been persecuted because you're a Christian. That day could come, even in America, in subtle ways, yet in my lifetime. I never thought I would would say that, but it's possible. Um, There's a lot of hostility toward Christians. And I don't know what it means, but I know this. I know that in the book of Acts, if you read it, God allowed persecution to come to Christians. Many of them suffered. They were tortured. How could God allow that? Because it scattered them into other countries. And the gospel went around the world because of persecution. I don't understand why God would allow His kids to be persecuted unless the mission of reaching the world is greater than your safety. That's an important point. Will you give your life to this? Jesus did. You might have to someday. I want to be prepared for that. He's with me even in my suffering in His name's sake. He's with me when I'm celebrating. He's with me in my relationships, whether they're good or bad or ugly. Or great and awesome. He's with me. I need to know that. I need to believe that. My family needs, my financial needs, the transitions in my life. God is with me. He's with you today. 
say, well, I don't feel Him. It doesn't matter. He is. Why? He has said that He would never leave you or forsake you. He is with you. My, my good friend, Herbert Cooper, he's a great pastor in Oklahoma City of a growing church. Amazing couple. This is his quote, and I just want to use it today because it's powerful. Happy moments? Praise God. Difficult moments? Seek God. Quiet moments? Worship God. Painful moments? Trust God. Every moment? Thank God. Let God be in the equation of every aspect of your life. You can trust Him. He is with you. We have a great calling, you guys. It's a big mantle. But I'm taking this seriously. I want to reach this city for God. I want... I I love this thought. If Timberline went away, if it just disappeared, would our community even notice? I have news for you. They would. Because you're so involved in so many things that make a difference in this community. That's the real deal stuff. That's what matters most. The world is different because we are here. And we have been given this baton with the presence of God to go change the world. Let's keep praying for our community. Let's pray for Northern Colorado. Let's believe God for this state. Let's believe God for this nation and for the other nations of the world. That's the mantle that's on us. And we have a mission. And I love doing it with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. This is so powerful that you put this baton in our hand. It's unbelievable. How could you trust us with this? Wow. It's sobering. It's challenging. But it's so meaningful handed us the keys and we thank you that you didn't walk away from being with us, but you promised to be with us. With heads bowed, as you just think about this, I, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you need to know that God is with you right now through the stuff you're going through because there's doubts there. and You can just say, I need to know it. Just raise your hand. I'm just going to pray over you. I just want to pray over you. Church, let's just pray for these as a family. Lord, we've all been there. And we just want to stop right here and say, would you let faith arise? Would you let the spirit man be quickened in our brothers and sisters, in these young people that lifted their hands? God, I just pray that you would be a God who comes close and that we would surrender to you in this moment and that we would not live with that anxiety. We would know you're with us, even if it's painful. Lord, I also just want to pray for those who need to continue on through this situation that they're in. That they would be able to not stop now in the dark place, but to keep walking and to go all the way through this issue that they're they're facing now in their life. Give them that hope to keep going. To know that you are calling them through it, not just to it. We trust you, Lord. And if you're in this room, you know, and the South Auditorium as well, if you, if you don't know Jesus, you know Him, you know of Him, but if you know you're separated from Him because of sin in your life, 
you know what? I want you to pray a prayer with me. If God's calling you, if He's knocking on your heart, you really need to respond. Because He loves you and He has a mission for you in your life. Just pray, Lord, I know I'm separated from you right now. And it's my own sin. It's my own doing. And I need to own that. And I do. And I ask you to forgive me. I am sorry. I truly need your strength and your help to move past the stuff that I deal with in my life. Help me now, Lord. I believe you died on that cross and rose from the dead for me. And I want to live with that mission. I want to live with your mission alive in me. So I give you my life. I trust you, Lord, with all of my heart. And now, Lord, for all of us, each of us, as we lead, as we walk the walk and talk the talk, as we do the deeds you call us to do, help us to be the people of God, inside and out. Purify us. Continue to work in us and through us. Use this church, Lord. Use the big church around the world. Help us to find ways to rally together to influence culture. For the glory of God, we pray it. Everybody said amen. Amen. So be it. I love you guys. I'm just so thankful to just be able to be here in our living room, as we call it today, and talk about real life and where we're going in our future. There's some really great days ahead. So thanks for being here. Ushers, come. These people want to give. I can just feel it. (laughs) You guys are the best. Thank you for giving through Timberline. If you're a guest, we don't expect you to give because the people around you are pretty generous and they give through Timberline. They believe in its mission and its vision. And I just want to thank you for being so supportive um, throughout this year and faithful in your giving. Lord, thank you for every gift. We just we just want to bless your kingdom. Thank you for helping us make big, critical decisions about where every penny goes. Thank you that we can influence this community and we can influence places in China and India and Africa. Thank you, God, that this church is everywhere. We are your kids. We give with joy in your name. Amen. Sing this for me. Praise God. Wow. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up here and be available to pray with those of you that just need a moment of connection. I uh, Next week, I appreciate this weekend, kind of after Easter, leading up to it, and kind of just a connection for us as a church. We start a new series next week for about six weeks. It's called While You Were Sleeping. And uh, you would be surprised what happens in many of the stories in the Bible while someone is sleeping. And we're going to bring those out. Samson would be one of the biggest stories, if you know his story. But uh, it should be a lot of fun. Bring a friend. It's a very user-friendly type series. And yet it's a real discipling series for us in our lives. So I hope you'll you'll be here these next few weeks. I just want to wrap up by saying this today. We've been saying at the end of our service for over a year now. But I guess I just want you to know that I I appreciate the fact that you know and you believe that the service starts now. Go make a difference. I love you. God bless you. Have a great day.